With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So today we're interviewing Matt Taylor, the manager of Exeter City Football Club. I feel like I'm going to see the headmaster. Yeah, exactly how I feel. I feel like I could really let myself down. I just I really do. But like, say this interview's an hour, and if he thinks I'm a twat in like the first few minutes, I'm just gonna. I've got I've got like an hour of feeling. How how will you know if he thinks you're an idiot? I'm really good at knowing when people think I'm an absolute dickhead, and there's. I'm, I All am. right. Well, what do you look at? What are the signs? <laughs> well, it just. Like not a lot of like a little bit dismissive of like you know what I mean not sort of joining in. All right, you... I'll be you. You be Matt Taylor. So and you you. Oh okay. okay. So, so say something a bit prattish. Okay. Uh, hello, Matt. This is a bit of a dorky sort of podcast, but thanks for having us on. No, no, I um. No thanks. No thanks for coming on. Sorry, got that wrong, Matt. No, I, I um. No, I'm, I'm pleased to come on. Oh right, um, you think? Um, how are you? To... How are you, David? <laughs> it's very passive, aggressive. <laughs> 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 okay, so you're you're worried Matt's going to be passive aggressive with you? Well, no, I don't. I'm not passive aggressive. Here he it's is. Not about, uh, it's Here not he is. About him. It's about me. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Matt. Hello, Matt. Oh, James, you okay? Yeah. yeah how are you? Yeah, I'm yeah. really good. Thank you. You came at a point where I was uh, talking to David about how I, I hope I didn't let myself down in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely fine. I think I'm I'm more nervous than you guys. No, 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 you no you're are. not. No, you're not. You're a football manager and we are nothing. <laughs> what, what, what did you say, Joe, just before Matt joined us? I was worried because you're... I, I really want you... To, <laughs> because you're involved in football. I really want you to like me. And I'm overthinking it. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. This is a terrible. I think I think Pierce and MJ put me under a bit of pressure. I think have they? Yeah. Have they? Well, they were they were good fun. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I listened to their their podcast again or your podcast again this morning, and um, because I told my wife I was coming on, and she got yeah. all excited and wanted to listen to what Pierce and MJ had to say. Oh, really? Um, they mentioned so she was bunions, asking me to they? use a bit of ammunition back against them because um, <laughs> they gave me a bit of stick for my. Yeah, uh, they did. Yeah, I did. My broken body that. parts. <laughs> Matt, I want to apologise for my hat. <laughs> we in- totally we- dawned on me I'm wearing this bloody hat. Yesterday we interviewed Dermot O'Leary and he took it off because he didn't want to. <laughs> he didn't want to wear it in front of Dermot, but he's happy to wear it in front of you. I don't know. <laughs> it, it suits you now. now you've moved down to Devon. It suits you. You need it more. Yeah. Matt, oh, I've I been, see. Yeah. I've been watching you from the stands for like. <laughs> Two months now. So oh, God. <laughs> Not watching right. the game, watching well, you. We, uh, uh, <laughs> we've got to explain that we're massive football fans. Yeah. yeah. So this is in- incredibly intimidating for us. Yeah. 
But there are times when you've there was one game where you ran for the dugout up up the stands. I was like, bloody hell! This <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's like another world to us. Yeah, so, so we might be a bit and, and what, what Pierce and MJ said was right in terms of we've we got to get you down to the training ground. I've envisioned a, a perfect scenario where you two can do the team talk and I'll stand oh, at the back and, and you can have, have full reign in terms oh of team talk. But a team talk which basically involves having your players in any way you want um, and really digging them out and basically embarrassing them. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. No, I'd get right into it. So I on. think... I think about yeah. nothing else. For and, that and not just not, not just football related, but anything you know, hairstyles, clothes, legs. Yeah. David's got a thing about their legs. Do whatever you want. And <laughs> we'll, we'll set up so they don't know you're coming in, and they'll think you know maybe after getting beaten at the weekend or something like that, uh, and I'll arrange a meeting, and you guys can just come in and just give it to them. I, I, th- I think they'd dominate us. To be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might Shut up, you pair of twats. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> back over to you, Matt. <laughs> this uh, is harder no. than it looks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming on, though, Matt. Honestly. It's... Oh, no problem. No problem. Oh, we're but so we, we were sort of thinking about the questions to ask. We're like, bloody hell, we're talking to a professional yeah. football manager here. Yeah, let's be honest, because that's what we've, we chat, we've chatted for hours about this. We've got an opportunity to talk to a football manager. It's something we've kind of we can't believe is happening. Yeah. And then we were like, "What? What could we ask him?" And I'm now yeah. really embarrassed by our questions. No, oh, honestly, God. anything's absolutely fine. It'd be, it'd be a different one for me as well because. I said to my wife, how should I approach it? Should I drink all day? And, and <laughs> everyone's coming when they're drunk, aren't they? Um, but I didn't quite know how to approach it. And yeah. as much as I want to, I, I, sometimes you've got to stay in a manager mode. And, yeah. you know, everyone hammers me about, especially family members and, and, and so on and so forth. They hammer me about my interviews after games and, and any interviews I do, um, whether they watch them or not. I seem to say the same things, just in a different way. Yeah, so do we. <laughs> and that, that's the last yeah, thing yeah. I want to happen today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. questions hopefully will direct me in a different avenue or a different pathway. Well, okay. 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 Well, this is the question David wanted to open with, and I repeat, David wanted to open <laughs> yeah. with is, yeah. do you ever look in the mirror and think, I'm a manager, this feels brilliant? <laughs> um, I, I can't. Unfortunately, I can't say I do. Um, oh. The, the only time it feels... <laughs> A little bit strange is, is if you watch interviews back or watch games back and you see yourself stood on the touchline because you're so enthralled in what's going on in front of you and around you. Um, as you guys know, sort of management, it's, it's never ending, it's non stop, and it's just a constant um, hamster wheel of, of work basically and addressing problems. And you guys see it on a match day, but even on a, on a Wednesday, which is Met and Beard Day off, it's, it's still a busy day. So you never really get a chance just to sort of sit back and, and reflect and then. And really think about what you're actually doing. Um, but then it's, it's moments now's like this. Uh, yeah, now's your chance. Yeah. It's moments like this where you speak to the people you see on the TV and you think, I'm not famous in any way, but I've got a position of some sort of authority and, and, and some sort of recognition within within the Exeter area, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Can you walk down the Do you get people in Exeter coming up to you and going, what the hell went on that day? Or <laughs> Yeah, um, sometimes. Sometimes uh, football fans are incredible because... Um, they, they probably well. get a little bit nervous and a little bit shy when they actually meet you. Um, and I can guarantee, <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee after every game we play, that a lot of fans probably go on, 5,000 fans from St. James's Park go on thinking, if I see Matt Taylor walking through Princess A, I'm going to tell him to play this formation, I'm going to tell him to play that player, I'm going to tell him to stop taking him off, stop making these substitutions. And when they actually yeah. see him, they just sort of say hello. And yeah. then I'm left with the point of, do I know them or not? 
and right. I've never met them before. And I'm thinking, do I know that guy? Or is he a City fan? Or um, and sometimes they, they stop and talk to you. And it's usually the, the older fans have less filters. Um, so basically, <laughs> usually the, the, the you know old men of around the, the seventy plus mark have no filter whatsoever, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, they literally say whatever they want. <laughs> and sometimes you're quite taken aback because it's it's not an insult anyway, and they, they don't mean it as an insult, but they sort of say things which just. Put you on the back. They're losing their marbles. (laughs) (laughs) It seems all the people just don't care. No. No. Are there people like, because you obviously most people sit in the same spot or like you see, do you know people from sight and go, oh, fuck them? Is there certain ones where you yeah, go? Do you, do you hear the is same? Is there someone voices? behind you, like up and right, where you go, it's that fucking idiot in the red top or the blue hat, and you're like, well, oh, him again? It's interesting because, like I say, when when the games are happening, I'm on the touchline. I'm just fully engrossed in what's happening and engaged in it. it sometimes you might see me in, in the Papa John's Trophy games and some cup games. I actually go and sit at the back of the stands. That's when I saw and you then, go up there. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. then you're kind of in the middle of it or at the back of it, and you can look through the crowd and you know I've got to be careful what I say it's probably as much as our board members who are supporters who, who shout things which you think you know, oh I don't quite agree yeah. with that or it's yeah, a certain yeah. opinion in relation to that so you, you kind of understand where people are in the stand um, usually you come out of our, our tunnel at St James's Park and the away fans are immediately on your left and seated and then in yeah. the stood area and then it's usually family members who are quite nice immediately on the right hey, and yes, then you probably got <laughs> you know, a mixture the further down you get towards a big bank and then the big bank is just it's an incredible thing to to, to watch and it's amazing every time we, we have a home game you know you want to be on the big bank and I, last thing i want to be is still on the touchline i want to be in the middle of the big bank singing the songs um it's it's the big bank unusual for league two is that quite yes, an, yeah. it but is it, it's an identity the club's got because it's the biggest standing area um in the, in the football league, and that's the whole of the football league. Um, obviously, Hillsborough's meant a lot of the bigger clubs. Is Hillsborough yeah, disaster yeah, meant yeah, a lot yeah, of the bigger clubs took away their standing yeah. areas. Um, so you think back about years gone by, like the, the Klopp and, and the Stratford and at United, um, yeah. huge standing areas, but they got obviously taken away and rightly so after the Hillsborough disaster. So we, we managed to keep our our standing area as big as it possibly can be. And I think when that's full, that can hold close to 6,000 people, which is a huge amount of people. Uh, Museates around the 3,000 mark, and it's a whole lot of noise. Um, it really that's is. That's and they're, they're really cramped in the central areas. Um, so it's, it's a fantastic thing for Exeter City to have, because if it was just small stadiums or small stands around the pitch, it doesn't quite feel the same. Um, but you know yourself, when, when that atmosphere gets going, it's, it's second to none. Um, yeah, because that's sort of all I know of of League Two, watching Exeter at home. And uh, there have been times like, Jesus, they're loud. Is this normal? Yeah. It's obviously not normal. Not, 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 not normal. Well, it is for Exeter, yeah. but not for the league. Yeah. Definitely. And I, I, I know we're bringing back the, the safe standing areas. So hopefully, because I think everyone feels football grounds in general might have lost a little bit of the atmosphere they had in the, the 80s and early 90s um, in terms of a Rochester atmosphere, which is basically created by standing standing stands, so to speak, um, and standing yeah. areas. So hopefully if it's done safely, that can come back because it, it generates a fantastic atmosphere. And if we've got an away fan full of, you know, 1,100 Bristol Rovers fans, then the big bank's in, in, in better voice as well. Um, Amazing. But, but in terms of the, the, the original question, 
you hear odd shouts and then you, you, you then turn around because they actually see a face probably looking at you and pointing at you and probably yeah. abusing you. So you sort of, sometimes you hear the odd word and you, you know, concentrate on the game and try, try not to I ignore mean, it. But just well, not most of the time, are you thinking, oh, shut up? <laughs> of course you are. Because <laughs> everyone behind you knows F all. <laughs> and I mean F all. Because I sit with those idiots and they know nothing. <laughs> well, but that, that, that's, their, you know, that's their opinion and that's their beauty. Yeah. Yeah, it's they not they worth listening to, though. They know, yeah, yeah. They know um, piss all. There's, there's not many other sports so I've seen where actual... It's, it's, it's obviously not borderline abuse, but it's, it's just opinionated <laughs> yes. facts, yeah. isn't it? And, and everyone has. No, it is abuse. Um, but what about think, if you if you get you know a few years, obviously a good few years from now, like you know you're going to retire, last game, turn round, pile in, <laughs> give and just some. put just find the one <laughs> bloke or woman that's been there for thirty years, going, oh, hey yeah. Taylor, and then go, what? <laughs> what do you actually want? Say it to my face. <laughs> Yeah. Or, or just swap seats with them, just just for one game. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah, like oh, I say, maybe, maybe you can take the team, and I'll sit ten rows behind and, and shout dogs abuse all game. Because we uh, would all, every single one of us would wet ourselves. <laughs> would wet ourselves. Imagine yeah. going, all right, you organise them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It'd look great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like just a watch, rabbit in the head. Like, yeah, you'd wear that hat on the touchline. Yeah, I wouldn't get abused for that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Matt, match day. Do you think about what you're wearing? Do you yeah, think do I'm going to wear these nice. shoes and this coat, and I'm going to look at the dogs? So, you, wow. yeah, because you know it's going to be on the TV. Later. It probably sums up my personality. I, I try and go as safe as I possibly can. Um, yeah. Literally, dark colours, club tie, shirt underneath. You know, trademark yeah. sort of jumper. Um, yeah. I've purchased a new coat. I've not purchased. I got a new coat for Christmas, so I'll be wearing that because I've been stood there freezing for the last three months. Um, on the touchline, but now we're all also going to shout new coat. New <laughs> coat. <laughs> it, it follows on from a little bit from, from Paul Tisdale as well. Um, right. So our previous manager for, for 12 years, um, Paul's best friend was the owner of Ted Baker. Um, oh, oh uh, Ray Kelvin. So he got all his gear. Um, he was basically sponsored by Ted Baker. Oh. And that was part of his, his trademark, part of his reputation. He was known as the best dressed manager in the oh. football league and he'd, yeah. he'd wear the cravat and he'd wear the caps and he'd wear the hats and you know unbelievably oh. smart gear um i'm still waiting for a sponsor so if there's anyone out there who wants to sponsor what me in any form, I, I am open to freebies um, and yeah. i'll wear what i want as long as it's free i'll, I'll wear yeah. it um, i thought keith curl at the business actually he did, he <laughs> I, was did. A, I was having a look at keith curl <laughs> and it, it's quite depressing every now and then you come across another manager who you just know looks a lot better than you do <laughs> <laughs> he's half the battle one already <laughs> Giving him a little side eye. Did that yeah. give him a slight edge over you, knowing that? He, Absolutely. Well, yeah. Although it doesn't always work, because I remember um, Harry Kuehl came in Knox County a couple of years back. Oh, did um, he? And he was possibly the best-looking bloke I've ever seen close up. Um, yes. He had a the biggest watch yeah. I've ever seen, and he had a biggest brand new watch. pair of, of <laughs> a brand new pair. Oh, it must have been worth about hundred grand. Honestly, it was it was ridiculous. Yeah. And there's there's me, me with my Casio. And I'm, I'm watching him. I'm thinking he looks a million dollars, but we beat him five <laughs> one, and he got sent off. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, so it was after that game. I kind of figured it doesn't really matter too much what, no. what you wear. Um, but no. like I say, I'm, I'm open to offers. If... Would you Would you ever consider like a pair of red trousers? Just a pair <laughs> well, of red I just jeans. Thought, if we If Smart we gave rich. a donation to charity, could we dress you <laughs> <laughs> for one game? 
<laughs> we wouldn't go too far. Like, yeah, just a risky pair of red trainers, <laughs> um, trousers and red trainers or something. Some lemons. Look, mate, you look like Timmy Mallet or something. <laughs> I'd definitely give it a go. I mean, as long as you don't get the players to dress me, they'd be the ones who'd, who'd stitch you right up. Yeah, yeah. And, I, yeah, I'm, and they're the ones who'd notice the most. You, you, we spoke about getting you guys into a team talk. If you're coming in new trainers as a manager or a coach or even when new boots on the training ground, players are straight on it. A player yeah, walks into the training ground with a new jacket and, and they think they're looking at a million dollars. The players are straight on it. It gets hung up on the, the ceiling. It gets put in the shower. It's so stressful. <laughs> I just... I just want to be invisible there because they were saying you just want to be invisible, don't you? But someone comes in, they go, yeah, and they were because they showed us all the different coloured boots and stuff, and they said, yeah, yeah, it's gone the other way. If you wear, because I thought the piss take would be if they were colourful, but now the piss take is if they're too boring. Yeah, yeah. It's it's only the coaches who wear black boots, um, and that's because we, you know, we 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 wear our same the same boots together. Um, Very rarely now the players wear black boots. It's just the way the game's gone in terms of the colour involved um, in, in the footwear. Weird um, though, isn't it? It's, it's strange because I'm, I'm a little bit more old school, so yeah, you, know, you, you, know, you know yourselves. Um, I've got players with with, with hairbands and, and long hair and um, I, I'm going out at five to three and the players go out at ten to three and there's, you know, there's, there's just tubs of hair gel and hair brushes. <laughs> the last thing they do is make sure they look a million dollars going onto that football pitch. Do you that check them on the way out? Yeah, and you need a bit more. Gone the days of punching the wall and saying, "Come on, we're going to get into these." (laughs) You need a touch more rouge, Sweeney. (laughs) Well, we we, we need to talk about Sweeney and Jay um, because Jay is one of the ones we've obviously let you down. Um, Yeah, and Sweeney's the one with a slightly receding hairline. (laughs) Right. When when you're standing at the sides, Matt, because I've noticed you're always in the the little box area standing up. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a Deliberate decision, like because I remember Sven would sit in the he'd keep very quiet, sat down. Mourinho sat down, yeah. You? So it's because I'd feel like I'd be standing up, sort of shouting all the time. Or, yeah, yeah, well, I feel you. I want to be seen, so I want to be sort of leading from the front, so to speak. But you've probably not seen the dugouts from because you sit behind them. Yeah. Our dugouts are atrocious. Um, you can just about fit <laughs> so it's the, more the, just to get out of the dugout. Yeah. <laughs> well, even more so Does in, it in COVID stink times. <laughs> I think there's four seats, and we've got seven substitutions and four members of staff, so it doesn't quite fit. And basically, just a group of men crammed together. So it's not a great environment to start with. Um, you need a proper seat in there. Yeah. Well, then you see. Then you see these Premier League dugouts and they've almost got the racing chairs uh, yeah. and you know they're heated. So if Exit City invested in a dugout like that, I'd be straight in there. You know? What about yeah. suggesting selling a couple of players <laughs> yeah, for a nice seat? <laughs> yeah, so I you mean, could have a long sit down. Yeah, I mean, get a big, big lounger on there. Who's got nice there. ones? Who's got nice ones in the league? When you go there, you um, go, oh, nice, we're going there. That'd be nice. I'm trying to think now. Some, some of the bigger clubs. Um, yeah. MK Dons have got a fantastic stadium and maybe Pete Winklebum, the obviously music mogul, um, invested in real seats in relation to their dugouts. And it's just space. I mean, ultimately, we've no space to put in nice dugouts. Um, right. But also, you go to some of the grounds and the older school grounds, I mean, Bradford, um, that's actually lower than the, the pitch level. So you're going down a level. That's so you, weird, if you're looking at players' ankles. Yeah, that's not right. That's so you, then you have to stand up. Um, yeah. It all depends, but obviously you see the bigger grounds and then the newer grounds on TVs, and you know it's it's no expense spared in relation to some of those dugouts. Yeah, can I ask a, a serious question? Yeah, yeah. I was watching um, Ollie at the end of his uh, reign at um, uh, Man United, and I was thinking, God, 
as a manager, you're like always like three defeats away from staring down the barrel, getting sacked, possibly. Yeah. Like, does that weigh heavy on you? Um, because you're not in control. You are, but as soon as they go over the on the pitch, you can't do much. I mean, you can. You can change formations, but it's yeah, down to them. It's, you know, it's a results business. And, you know, the, the thing we concentrate on at XSC, because we're a slightly different club to any of the, due to our academy players playing so often, um, we try and concentrate on the performances as much as anything. Um, and even if the results don't quite always go hand in hand, you do feel external pressures. But, you know, the, there's a bigger picture at stake at XSC as well in terms of the way the club continues to run and, and continues to be financially stable. So as long as you're producing good players and good young players, um, that's half your your job remit as existing oh, manager. Right. But then we, we all want to win games of football and there's nothing worse than losing. And you touched upon it there, you can easily lose three games, five games on the run. And all of a sudden, um, there's a feeling around the stadium which is different to at the start of the season where um, there's more negativity, there's more angst, there's more more nerves. Um, and that yeah. feeds into the players as well. So if oh. any team goes through sticky runs throughout their, their period of time, um, the key thing from a manager's point of view is that when the shit is a fan and you're not winning games, you've still got to look like you know what you're doing in terms of the team. And the <laughs> yeah. team still needs to look like they're committed to the club and the manager yeah. and pretty well organised and still have a chance of winning. Um, I think it would go, it's when it goes full circle and basically people watch games of football and think this team's just gone and it's disjointed and it's a mess and it's unorganised and the players aren't trained. That's when you'd probably really fear or expect to get a sack. And can you, can you feel that as a manager? Yeah, like Inside. slipping away from you, like, oh. Um, not really. I mean, I've, I've been lucky in my time at Exeter. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's, if it's a group of players or the way the clubs run, um, but I've never felt, you know, really under the pump. There's times when you lose games of football and, and you lose more than one on the bounce. Um, but in terms of the way the players have been, I've never felt I've lost, not their control of them, but their their, their will is a big one, their intent and, and their attitude to perform. Um, yeah. And they're a hungry group of players. Our level of football is littered with mistakes and defeats and, and, and poor moments. But in terms of intent, we always try our hardest. And, and that's a big thing as a as any lower league club because the skill will come at a later stage or or if we get everyone playing to the, the same potential which they have, um, which very rarely happens. Um, but generally, I've been quite lucky in terms of so far up until this point. You know, After this conversation, we could easily lose the next three or four games and then it, it'll feel totally different. But up to this point, I've been lucky. I, it sounds negative, but if if something like that happens, do do you start having conversations with like the people above you, or or I just wonder how how it works in a football club, whether they um, well, it's the same again. It, it's different at Exeter City because the people above me, similar to what I alluded to earlier, are basically twelve board members elected by the trust, yeah. um, as opposed to most football clubs. I've got one chairman in the background. And that one yeah. chairman has basically invested X amount of money over a period of time and is hell-bent on success. And they're making the decisions. So, you, you know, you probably as a, a manager at a different club, you look behind you and if that, that chairman's not liking what he's seeing, then you're in serious danger straight away. So right, um, right. Our, our situation is a little bit different, but I do speak to a lot of football league managers and their, you know, their experiences aren't always as nice as what it is down at XSC. Yeah. Um, what about if you do get let go, not you won? How, do, how does a manager who's, especially maybe early on in their career, how do you get a new job? Do you literally have an interview or do they call you? Or how does it work if, you know, you've managed 
Barnsley for a couple of years, get let go. It, and then... it depends on probably how well, well you've done. Um, if you've still got a good enough reputation in the game, um, you're still a sought-after manager. Um, there's different levels you can drop down to. There's, there's not many too many professional levels down from league to obviously national leagues, probably three quarters full of full-time clubs. Um, but you, you need to build a reputation. Most managers have agents, the same as players. Oh, right? do you? So you've got right, people okay. representing you. Um, and similar to you guys, you're putting your name out. So when you're... You know, when your stock's high and you're producing funny moments on the TV or, or podcasts and if I'm winning games of football, then agents will naturally be talking to, to right. other clubs in relation to, oh, he's doing well at this club. And he's, oh, right. God, I never thought of that. No, I did. So if the time comes where you do lose your job, hopefully you're in a position where you could potentially move into another one. So you get more interest if you're doing, if you're doing well with the club. Yeah. So that there's a kind of... And a weird situation there because you you know the club obviously want you to take the team forward, but then they've got a danger of losing you or a yeah. man, you know any manager to a well, well, success on, on a football pitch breeds interest. It's no different for players. If if they play well, they get interest from the higher leagues. Um, if if my team sort of speak plays well, then you get interest and, and wins games of football. You get interest from the higher leagues, and you know if, if you were top of the Premier League, there's nothing else to go on to, maybe international. But you know there's a long way forward from League Two, um, which is why unfortunately we lose so many players. And you know, I've got aspirations to manage at another level, and you, you kind of work your way up yeah. and gain experience. I mean, you know, I'm still a young manager and relatively young in relation to the managerial stats and so on and so forth, but. You know, this is going into my fourth season, so I've managed a lot of games and, and gained so much experience. And you're always looking at what you can do next in relation to your current job, but also you, you've got half an eye in the future, of course. Yeah. So when we were talking to Matt and Pierce, they, they kind of said to us, "There's a ceiling to a lot of League Two players, yeah, what level they could play." But with you, surely the sky's the limit, isn't it? You, th- there you... is a possibility, yeah, yeah. yeah. In theory, and people have done it. Chris Wilder did it. Um, he did it with Sheffield United. He managed in a conference with Halifax. He went to Northampton in League Two, got them promoted, got the Sheffield United job, and went through the ranks at, at sorry, through the leagues at Sheffield United. Um, and he was now known as a top Premier League manager for a period of time before they got relegated. So it has been done, and it will be done. Um, yeah. And you know, you think times on your side in terms of management, but you need a little bit of luck, and you also need good players. Um, yeah. It helps if you've got the biggest budget and the best squad and the best players because you're not guaranteed success, but that gives you a better chance of doing that. Yeah. Well, can I ask what you said about obviously like players moving on? How does that? How how is your? What's your sort of outlook on that? Obviously, you've got a, a loyalty to the club, but also if you can see a player's got potential to play at a higher level, what's your? How do you deal with that? Do you sort of go good luck, or do you, or you, or you sort of obviously advise them as a player, sort of outside the club? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because... absolutely. I mean, this works two ways because it's 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 the best part of my job and the worst part of my job. Um, the best part is seeing players develop with our club and, and get the opportunity on the football pitch, mainly young players and academy products. Um, and you you want them to move on to their highest possible levels. I mean, the Ollie Watkins example is a, a fantastic one, and one we always use at Exit City. But we've got six or seven academy products on the first team pitch playing week in week out at the moment, and and we'll sell one if it's not this window. We'll sell one or two at the end of the season. Um, really, right? And, and, and that's the way we work as a football club. But we we need that to sustain ourselves because yeah, yeah. as much as I said, there's not one chairman putting X amount of money in. We've got to generate our own income as well. So we've got to keep generating the funds to keep the club surviving. Um, but from a manager's point of view and a selfish point of view, and it is a selfish point of view, then I'm losing my best potential players. Um, yeah. Every year there's a huge turnover of our better players. You want a turnover of your, it's going to sound terrible, you want to turn over your mid-range players and your lower-level players and squad players 
where you mm. can't afford as a manager to continue to lose your best players. No. And that's almost something which you have to understand the way Exeter City works. That every season, the we interest, fantastic, in your best players, but more than likely you're going to lose your best players because that player will want to move because he's going up the levels and up the, the financial you know, system yeah. relation to why he gets played. So, so, you, so you have to really focus a lot of time on the youth academy then? That's a yeah. big... Yeah. That's a big part of Exeter that's a, City. That's a huge part of our of my job and, and our football club. Um, regardless of who's manager, um, you know we, we we generate players of a certain level through our academy system. But the first team manager's job is to then give them the opportunity to play in, in league football. They must shit themselves around you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that power. Yeah, I've seen them come through the, the ranks in the academy system, so I've spent enough time with them, but. They probably shit themselves, rightly said, of the actual game and playing. Um, you see them the first time they train with yourselves and oh train with the group, and they get exposed the first time they play. Um, and there's a, there's, there's a, it's great to witness and incredible to see because um, you see players' journeys at a young age, um, usually from around 17 years old to, to 21. In that time, if they make their first team debut, it's fantastic to witness because there's been a there's been a journey which you've helped them along their way alongside the, all the other coaches and all the other teammates and the club itself. And yeah. then you see him get their opportunity. I mean, I don't know if you're at the Sutton game um, on New Year's Day. Yeah. Check Diabate had waited four years for his first team opportunity. And he hadn't slept for two nights because he knew he was playing. <laughs> I think he'd barely eaten. And he got wow. cramped after 60 minutes. And he's wow. one of our fittest players. Um, but just the adrenaline surging through his body. Oh, I can um, imagine. Yeah. Everything you've ever wanted. Basically. And then you look at how they react. You look at what, what sort of characters they, you know, characteristics they've got because... You guys will know if, you, if you've got a difficult gig or a difficult crowd, and it, you know you learn from those experiences. Sometimes you've got to, you know stand up and be counted. Sometimes you can shrink a little bit. So you always see how their personalities come through at difficult moments. That must be. Is that something you can? Yeah, obviously it's not something you can do anything about. But you must go right. This this lad's got all the talent in the world, but you're worried about how he's gonna react again in front of ten thousand people. And, and ultimately, you never quite know until. We use that phrase until they shit. It's a fan order until they make their yeah. debut. Never quite know how a player is going to react. And um, so you must see people with a hell of a lot of potential. Just maybe like, oh, this is too much pressure. That yes, definitely. And even even some of the ones in our first team at the moment, the, the consistency has took a long time to start to show. Um, Josh Key, Alex Hartridge, Harry Kate. Um, you know, you can drop them in and out to start their their career. Um, and we were probably lucky last season because we spoke about the influence of the the supporters not being there. Um, they, there was less pressure, so yeah, their yeah. season right. behind right. closed doors. Yeah. So we almost jumped jumped ahead a season by playing a lot of young players last season when no one was there to watch it yeah. and no one was there to influence it. And it was almost as if you're practicing stand up comedy with yeah. no one there, but just the feedback from your, your years around you. Yeah, I'd love no one to be there. And then the fans came back, and they were more accustomed to their their current environment. Do you get them to call you sir? Or- <laughs> I no. would, my lord. Yeah, my lord. Why did you say my lord? Well, if you really want to get in the first team, you'll call me my lord. Let's see how much you want this. Right, I should introduce. I mean, some call me oh, Gaffer yeah. naturally because they've called previous managers Gaffer. Um, I'm I'm not one of those managers who said you've got to call me Gaffer. Just call me Matt. I mean, oh, as long as it's not an expletive, nah, which is. Um, I'd be disrespectful. Um, they, they can call me whatever whatever they want, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. You've got the chance to be called Gaffer. <laughs> Why would you turn that down? I'll call you Gaffer, Joe, if you want. I would absolutely, yeah, no, I can't handle it because <laughs> I don't deserve it. But if I deserved it, I'd love to be called Gaffer.
Are there times, Matt, when say you're um, say you're losing at half time, you you've got the team in the change room, you're like, I have no idea what to say to them. <laughs> I have no idea why we're losing. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'm going to run away. Honestly, there's times when it's gone as badly as you could ever imagine, and the team's played so so poorly. You're almost as if um, you know. My remit over the years is always to give them some sort of focus and some sort of belief going into the second half of the game. Um, so my half-time team talks are really simple and, and sometimes they involve an absolute bollocking if that's what they need. Um, sometimes they need an arm around the shoulder and you almost flip it now where, I know Pierce and MJ touched upon this, where if it's going terribly wrong, you give them love and you give them so much love they can possibly get that, that at least they feel comfortable in terms of going back out for the second yeah. half. Um, with the That's belief that they can only improve. Um, so you've got to give them real belief in relation to that. And, you know, the old school bollockings are, are still there, um, but they're more apparent when the team loses its actual intent and its application. Um, and I'm more prone to, to giving out to players and, and to the squad in general if I feel they lose their intent to do the right things. Um, right. Their intent to perform in the right manner. Um, so that's why sometimes, and I don't know Pierce and MJ touch upon it, sometimes when you're winning a game 3-0, that intent to perform and to do the right things actually drifts away from the team because they think it's too easy. Yeah, um, they said you give more of a bollocking, yeah. Yeah, to be yeah. fair, Matt, that was out of order. They were absolutely Yeah, yeah, and I think them. I speak for everyone when I say, what's your problem, mate? You're winning 3-0. I'm going to justify it. I think you don't, you, you don't know anything. We're winning, mate. 4-0 <laughs> <laughs> up at half-time. Yeah. And I'm going mad a rollicking. Them. Well, I text Joe. I said, it's 4-0. They're absolutely pissing it. And little did I know, you're in the change room. Yeah, yeah. yeah he them. said, I bet they're having a lot. Lovely time at half time. But also, you don't want to get egg on your face in terms of, no. you know, stranger things in football have happened, um, whether it was you know, the European Cup final and AC Milan feeling up at half time and, yeah. and so on and so forth. But I, I, I watched again, I was on the bench um, coaching when Yeovil were 3 0 in the Devon Derby, so to speak, not the big Devon Derby, but a, a closer Devon Derby. 3 um, 0 up in the 88th minute against Exeter. And I heard Darren Wade, the manager at the time, say, enjoy the moment. Um, and we all heard it. And then Exeter went and scored three goals. Um, it was absolutely incredible. So, um, it was an incredible thing to witness. And you talk about being stood there on the touchline. If you're stood there on the touchline and your team wins a game, it's an incredible, incredible feeling. But if you stood down the touchline and the team should have won the game and did win the game, that's where you're really kicking yourself. Um, so my job is partly not to allow yeah. that to happen. And, yeah. and sometimes, uh, sometimes that comes across as as losing, not my temper, but sort of keeping things going in the way I want. No, losing your temper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting cross for no reason. Touch Touchline to rest. I think that's what it's yeah. known as. Um, every manager has touchline to rest. You ever in a bad mood and think, oh, fancy taking it out on the left back? <laughs> well, it's, in all honesty, it's usually the fourth official who gets it, who yeah, you actually yeah, end up feeling sorry for because... It's the referee and the linesman who, are, who play the biggest part in, obviously your players as well. But then the fourth official is just stood within oh, two yards of you, um, usually sort of just stood there quietly minding his own business watching the game. And then something happens and immediately staff and players close to him turn to him and just give him the big, biggest oh, that must feel great. Honestly, I love those moments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Forget the game. Let's focus on this. Do you know any fourth officials and do you think, yeah... I'm glad we said it to him. I'll, I'll be honest with you, they're, they're strange creatures. Yeah, um, that's what yeah. I wanted to hear. They are, they're strange creatures. They're almost at the start of their refereeing journey and not yet qualified to, to referee a game. Um, oh, so they right. want the responsibility of being involved in it, but they're not They're not 
qualified and it's actually the hardest position because you, you've got both managers in your ears and you've got both benches in your ears um, <laughs> so would I be right in saying you've got no respect for them <laughs> I've got almost respect and can we quote you <laughs> a lot of fourth officials listen to this most respect until it goes wrong oh, <laughs> how old are you Matt I'm 14, two weeks, so I'm 39 at the moment. So do you watch some of the game and go, oh, I could still play this? And... I've heard your knees have gone. <laughs> <laughs> but are you watching going, come Listen, on, Listen, I, I know you've, le- you've led me into the next question really well in terms of my... Uh, the bunions. Let's be honest, uh, <laughs> yeah. the physical deformity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The talons you have as feet. <laughs> yeah, well, Pierce, Pierce touched upon, or MJ touched upon my bad back, which is a, a constant oh, bad back, yeah. um, But my foot and, you know... People give me a bit of grief about it. I, I first injured it playing for Exeter. So when I was 24, I, I jumped into a tackle and you know ruptured a joint, as, as you do in football. You get your injuries. And then another 10 years of playing professionally has now left me with a, a big toe, which basically faces the wrong way, is the best way I can describe it. Um, it almost goes underneath my other four toes, which are... How's your wife feel about that? Yeah, I know. Does she love you a little bit less? <laughs> Does she love you from the ankles she's up? Sat there, she's sat on the stairs hiding and, and probably grimacing because she gives me grief about it. She, she's, yeah. I mean, the nicest way she describes it is it's unpleasant. Before I, think I met it's quite my wife, cute. I, I always <laughs> tell the story before I met my wife, when, whenever we'd be on lads' holidays, you know, you'd, you'd be around the pool or you'd be on a beach somewhere and, you know, groups of girls would be involved. So I used to bury my toe and bury my foot in the sand <laughs> on a pool party and throw some clothing or a towel over my right foot. Um, just oh. so it wasn't an initial, you know, conversation starter or ultimately conversation finisher. How many months into your relationship with your missus did you show your foot? Did you take your foot out of the sand? Yeah, I remember, <laughs> remained in my shoes and socks for the first six months of the relationship. Too, oh, so when we dress you, you got to put you in some open toed sandals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or give you the widest first shoes possible. Oh. Winkle pickers. But yeah, it's, it's not ideal. Um, and, and like I said, the, the players know about it. And it, it's part and parcel of what happened previously in my career. And at some stage, I'll need a, a serious operation. But, um, you know, I, I know, David, you're a big cricket player and cricket fan. I still play a bit of bit of cricket as well and oh, for who uh, just for a local team in Devon um, and we are recruiting so the reason I agreed to this podcast is that you've got to come and play for us um, oh honestly I, I've got in touch with someone locally and said look I'm looking for a team I mean I'm I'll be shit now no, no you, you'd be able to play for us, believe me. Alfington and Countersway uh, Cricket Club. We're playing. Uh, we've just got promoted, so we're in the C Division, Devon C Division. Where whereabouts is the the pitch, the ground? It's just outside Marsh Barton. Um, so in, in Alfington, um, just outside Marsh Barton. Um, that far from you, David? I don't know that area. So I'm down. I'm down near Totnes. It's not too far. So it's south side of Exeter. Oh, okay. Do they have a kid set up there? They have a kid set up, yeah. They've got a course. Oh, this um, has been fantastic. And it's, it's a great family, not only family day out, but it's a great family affair. And it's a real, so, you know what cricket clubs are like. Um, it's a real social. So, you know, yeah. we, we're recruiting as many players as we can of all levels. Um, because in the last few years, certainly with a pandemic, we've been short of, of players. Yeah. But it's a great club to be Oh, at. honestly, I, I, I would love that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, that's the end of the interview. Thank you, Matt. For... <laughs> Matt, when you were playing, uh, who's the best player you ever played against? It, it, well, in pre-season friendlies, we played the top teams. And I remember playing against um, Jermaine Defoe when we played Tottenham. And um, honestly, for 90% of the time, he stood in an offside position, like he just wasn't there and wasn't bothered. And, you know, his game is a finishing game. And he, he would not get involved in the whole play until the last bit. And then he just scored. 
and he'd score from where I basically couldn't find him and couldn't see him. And he was so sharp in terms of that last movement. So wow. um, he was a, a top, top player. Um, and, and you get to see what the, the, the levels are like when you go up the levels. Are they are they just quicker, literally quicker across the... So they're quicker and stronger and they're better footballers. Um, yeah. So oh, right. put all that together, <laughs> yeah, it's an incredible combination. And, and they're just on another level in each department. And each department all, all of a sudden means they're a totally different level to yourselves. So, so I was watching Ollie Watkins the other night against United. He was, for me, like the best player on the pitch. It's, it's so when he was at Exeter, was he just head and shoulders? Would everyone not, not, admit not that? To start with, not to start with, but he had the potential to be that. So physically, first and foremost, when he, when he broke into the first team, he could physically cope because he was quick and he was strong and he could jump and he could head it. And then he started producing his game on top of that. So physically, he was able to cope. And then in his last season, I think he scored 15 or 16 goals and, and got player of the season for the whole league, not just our and team. How old was he? when He He was 20, 2021. 20, wow. um, so it had taken him a few years and it taken him the pathway of academy and, and loans and, and reserve team and B team and being on the bench and playing the odd game, coming back in. So he went through a journey where it took it time to, to develop and hone all these skills. But he had what you saw the other night, this incredible physical body. Um, which yeah. he worked on, which he enhanced, um, which he, you know, moulded and sculpted in the gym, um, but also naturally had some attributes which other players at our level, unfortunately, didn't have. Um, right. and, and that's why he probably, we describe him as Premier League bodies. Um, you'll have seen Sam Nombe play. Um, yeah. In terms of his physical attributes, he's got a championship slash Premier League body, but he's right. quite raw in his game. Um, right. So so you never get the two together or all three together at the same time until they're Premier League players or until you sell them. Um, right. We've got a lot of good physical specimens, and we've got a lot of ones who, you know, who aren't physical but have got the football game to back up. Um, yeah. At lower levels, you always get one out of the three, never, never the full packet. Right. Okay. But some of the younger players have got the potential to, to enhance all departments. Yeah. So I, I started watching in, I think, mid October with my eldest we came down and that was when i got, got the bug and uh from then on i think it was another nine games unbeaten or something and yeah i genuinely couldn't see how we were going to lose <laughs> it's like this is a piece of piss <laughs> and that uh, what are your thoughts now on because i don't quite know how league, league two works it feels like everyone can beat everyone else more yeah. or less what are your thoughts on us getting promoted um, Look, we've got a chance, but we need our best players fit and available. Yeah. Um, it's as simple as that. We've got a strong squad this year, but in terms of absolute on-the-pitch quality, um, if we lose two or three of our better players, then the team struggles off the back of it. And it's it's always a balancing act of, of who allows other players to play well. So if we've got a chance, we need Tim Biang to stay fit for the rest of the season. We need, we need Sam Nombe to come back in, in fitness and in form. Um, and we need the players to refine a bit of a, a rhythm in relation to that. So... As always, you get periods of time where you, you're disjointed in terms of the personal you've got, whether that's COVID or injuries or actual yeah. form and fitness. Um, so you are trying to strive for, you know, start of the season, you write down your best 11 on a piece of paper and you think if that best 11 plays and plays well every week, we've got a, a real chance. Um, and we had that for a period in that, you know, two to three month run where we were unbeaten yeah. and looked like remaining unbeaten. And then yeah. for the last sort of few weeks, we, we've obviously struggled in relation to missing personnel and not having our, our, our strongest team out. And then it's, it's an even playing field in terms of league. Forest Green are the best team by a mile. Um, and yeah, but not when you played them. You were all over them. Yeah, we played really well against them um, yeah. and moved the ball really well. Um, but then we were getting stronger and stronger in terms of getting that group of players back together. Um, but then in terms of the rest of it, there's, there's probably any out of another dozen teams who you'd say could have a strong second half of the season, ourselves included, and yeah. have a really good chance of both automatic and, and playoff positions. Um, yeah. 
but it all depends on, on, on the players and how fit they are and if they hit form at the right times. Um, if you went up, would you, do you, are you thinking about if you went up now or do you kind of go what, what you would need? Do you know what you would change or would you have to add players or, or would you try and keep that if you went into League One? We, we keep the nucleus of the squad. Um, the nucleus of the squad is, is good enough to compete in League One and then we'd hope to add a few additions. Obviously, financially, it puts you in a different position. Um, but League One is a, is a difficult league because you've probably got 10 clubs there of ex-Premier League stature. Um, huge clubs, huge clubs for lower league football. Um, and then there's another disconnect for the next dozen or so clubs who are similar to ourselves, uh, the Northamptons who, who bounce up and down, the Swindons who bounce up and down, um, Cambridge might bounce up and down, Cheltenham. Um, but it's all about being able to stay in the, the league above and we'd have a real chance, I, I think we'd have a real chance to staying up in the league above. Um, it, it almost yeah. sounds crazy. It'd almost be easier to stay up in the league above than it is to get out of your own league. Um, yeah. That's the hardest thing to do. Um, right. Because there's, there's certain clubs which we can't quite compete with in terms of firepower and finances and, and squad size and experience. Um, and you, you always see in the second half of the season how body hardened some teams are. Um, yeah. we, we play against the Bradfords and Mansfields, the teams like that who are just teams of men. Um, and sometimes teams of men just somehow steamroll your your youngsters on, on certain nights. But over a consistent run of fixtures, right, they always yeah. seem to come out on top at our level. They are physically bigger, aren't they, those sides? They're bloody enormous. They are. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that, that's our league. Um, and that's why when we have five or six academy players on the pitch, when they're 27 years old, they'll be bigger men. Yeah. And they'll be, they'll have filled out and they'll be strong and they'll be, and they'll be more experienced. They'll have the game know-how and the, you know, the little niggly bits and pieces which you need to be successful. But when they're between the ages of 18 and 21, they're still learning that and they're still yeah. learning to grow into their bodies. And they certainly don't know how to use those bodies bodies as yet so um we're always physically at a little bit of a, a less every set piece i'm you know you'll hear me shouting on i'm basically watching it cringing thinking some big bugger's gonna go and head this ball over the top of my yeah. voice um yeah. but that's that's just the nature of the league and that's the beauty of trying to the challenge of excess city is still to be successful with so many young players on the pitch yeah would you um would you i know you're gonna laugh very funny david would you consider <laughs> signing me Absolutely. I mean, squad player. I've already no, signed you as a cricket player, so there's every chance of me signing you as a footballer. But when you come in to no, do this, isn't a joke, stuff, Matt. Isn't a joke. Well, <laughs> your semi professional background is as strong as, as my semi professional background, is it? Does it involve County, County, Sussex, Div 2. Okay, brilliant. Okay, that's what we're talking about. And what position was that? Sweeper, sort of Berezi. <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> Don't over egg it, David. Sort of like a Hartridge, actually, but. Uh, okay. Yeah. What, what do you need around you? So in terms of if I was picking a team with you, do you need legs or do you need physical? Or do you need footballers around you? What do you need? Just a nice bunch of guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I need to, I need to, someone who goes up for the headers and does the, and I'll pick up the spare bits and pieces and hit the channels. Okay, perfect. So. Pace is pace an issue, David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, possibly. And you're not great in the air, did you <laughs> no. say? No, but I can see a pass. What do you pass. mean by picking up the bits and pieces? Exactly. Well, they go up for that, I'll get the second ball. So you, you can play alongside Hartridge then because if, if yeah. one thing that Alex is good at is going for the ball um, and then yeah. not so good on the ball so he can give the ball to you. Um, plus I he's a nice he, Is lad. he not? I thought he's good on the ball, Hartridge. I'm surprised he's not hit you on the head 
Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was good. The, the, the players have actually started fining him for every time he kicks a ball out of play. Um, wow. And usually it's on the left-hand side, so it, in a dugout, it goes over my head and into the stand. And, but it, it, it's not as much for me. The, the players have started fining him for every time he kicks a has ball out of play. Knocked, has that not knocked his confidence a little bit? <laughs> the beauty of football is, in terms of the balance of the team, I, I just keep telling him, I don't care what you do on the ball. I do care, but I don't care. Um, yeah. You just win all your headers, win all your tackles, be the best oh, defender, really? and everything else is a bonus because I know he's capable of that. And one day, once we've coached him and worked with him, he might be capable of keeping the ball on the that's, pitch as well. That's I really had a so super you, little so you, left peg. But so you, so you've basically gone to him, do this well, and I'll forgive you a couple Absolutely. of cockups. Absolutely, that's amazing. I love and that. everyone's got everyone's got the strength. So you know, comparison with uh, another left-sided defender, Jonathan Grounds might not be as as strong in the air or as strong in the tackle, but he's a fantastic footballer. Um, so he'd need a different partner alongside him, and Alex would need a different partner. And it's all about balancing off different players' attributes with each other, and um, certainly in certain units within the team. Right. I like Pierce. Is he's a little bit arsy. I he really is. like. I love that side of him. I sort of want to see of, more of. Do you need a couple of head cases in that? Yeah, yeah I want to be a head case. Well, yeah. in fairness, Pierce has got that in him, and the, the boy Stubbs. Um, he's a typical yeah. scouser. Um, he's a moany scouser. So that's Alan Stubbs' son, Joe. Alan Stubbs' son. Yeah, is it? Um, he's, yeah. he's been out injured for a whole year, so he's just coming back into it. But he's got those traits of a, a northerner who's tough uh, and a, a bit of a moaner and a whinger. So you know, if we have a back line of, of Sweeney and Stubbs and yourself, then. <laughs> You've got a job picking between those three, haven't you? Thank what, you, my What Lord. combination am I going to play? Am I going to play Earl Stubbs, Earl Sweeney? Sweeney, St- I don't know. They all play well in training. God, play. Earl keeps vomiting. <laughs> Earl's on the treatment bench again. Uh, Matt, I've, I've just seen a question Joe has written. I haven't written it, probably. Don't say yeah, that. Yeah, you definitely have. Do you get a buzz from asking a player to come to your office knowing that they might be shitting themselves a bit? Um, not, not really, because... I, Especially I, a younger player. You, you, usually you, you bring him into the office for the right reasons. Um, I suppose yeah. you get a bit of a power trip, let's be honest yeah. with you. No, like yeah, that. Yeah. At the end it's of the corridor, fantastic. the headmaster's office, and you've got to walk down the corridor. It's almost like the walk of shame in the morning. Yeah, yeah, walk yeah, down yeah. the corridor, past the change room, past the physio room, past the coach's room, and everyone's oh, sort God. of saying, oh, in the office again, yeah. or sort of feel. But do you have those moments where you need to speak to a player going, what's up? Are you all right? Yeah. What's wrong? yeah. yeah. The, the personal side of management is, is getting bigger and bigger. Um, and I still don't do it well enough. I'm a stubborn northerner who doesn't show enough empathy to my players and staff. And it's something I'm working on, believe me. Um, right. but, but actually trying to get to know the group and, and getting to know the individuals because, you know, everyone says managing it's easy. You just tell a group of players where to stand and, and how to kick a football. But within that, there's there's 25 different characteristics, different personalities, different individuals who de- need different styles of management. Um, yeah. And it's hard to give each and every individual that, that amount of time they need. So you've got to try and get to know them off the pitch as much as on the pitch and just trying to find out what they need and what they need to be motivated, what they need to be successful, what they need in terms of their, their weekly regime. And, and some players need a bollocking. Some players actually want a bollocking. Yeah. Uh, and some players need an arm around them. And seeing how they react at different stages is, is part of management. Um, but it's certainly strange because you don't want to go down to the change room and say, come on, I want to speak to you. You want to send almost a messenger. Yeah, um, so you that's lovely. Send down. It, it, it just strengthens the effect, really. Yeah, and let them sit outside your office for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you go, enter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, do you ever send the messenger down and go, just have a, don't give anything away? 
just go gaffer wants a word yeah i wouldn't yeah. go uh, i'm definitely going to start doing it more and more because the way pierce described it and the way mj talked about it it's something which is lack of respect used in my you know oh yeah in my sort of army <laughs> in some respects but the, the, the place i don't want them to be scared of coming and speaking to me um oh. because as much as i want to speak to them sometimes i want them to come and speak to me every every single opportunity because you know certainly the modern day player and, and whether you call it generation x there's certainly a feeling that they're a little bit softer than what they used to be um, right. and that's a nice way of putting it um, yeah. they, they need a different type of management to previous times yeah can I ask a question do you have a favourite you don't have to tell us who it is you don't have to tell <laughs> it is, but do you have do you have someone when you see him pull up in the car park you go ooh lovely easy. there's my boy there, there he is. is. There he is. He's You've nice. got the ones that you relate to the most. Um, yeah. And the ones I relate to the most are the ones who, who no matter what the situation, they just give absolutely everything. The ones who have fantastic upbringing. Um, the ones who maybe who slightly short in certain areas, maybe the skill areas, but they just want to give absolutely everything. And they're desperate for, for success. Their, their will levels are second to none. And I was not a skillful footballer in my time, believe me. Um, so I had a certain amount of will, which, which helped me be successful in, in that career. Um, so those are the ones I, I can relate to. But then... There's other ones which you, you you see their personalities and you take note of how they interact with a group and you think they are funny fuckers. And I yeah. would love to go for a night out with them and go yeah. for a few beers and see them in a, a social environment as opposed to where I'm the manager and they're the player. Um, yeah. They're quite funny guys. I've got to give it to them. And they're a good group as well. So yeah. um, seeing them interact together and you know sometimes you, you hear things which you probably shouldn't be listening to and some of the stories they tell are This fantastic. is your way of saying I do have a couple of cheeky favourites. <laughs> <laughs> Oh Matt, when I there was a couple of times I was watching Exeter and like Sam Nombay, he stuck out as someone who absolutely busts the gut for 90, 90 minutes. Just he, he does, he does, um, and his his game's infectious in, in relation to that. Um, yeah. it, it also he's he's allowed to do his 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 lung bursting runs because he's got space at the top end of the pitch to do so. Um, yeah. He can't yeah. take anything away from the other players where there's less space to do those runs. But right, everyone okay. tries as hard as, as each other. There's no one I can really say tries harder than the rest. People cover right. different distances, but that's their physical capability. But Sam Nombe is one who the fans absolutely love because it's just, it's all action, it's all effort. It's, you know, it's, it, they, I think they call him Superman. It's almost like Superman being up front and yeah. his influence has obviously been missed with his injury. Um, but a real player who you can, uh, you know, I'm a Man United fan. I'd love to see a player. You know, everyone's moaning about Ronaldo not running around at the moment and Rashford sulking. You kind of want a player who's just going to, no matter what the situation, play like Nombe does, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and even at the top level, the Premier League levels, um, they talk about the ones with the best attitude and the ones who, who, who try their hardest, even if they're the best players as well. And they're ultimately yeah. the world-class players. So um, we're lucky to have some of those players within our ranks in terms of the effort they give. Um, and imagine putting the good quality on top of that. And like I yeah. say, it's pretty. Um, are you a United fan as well? Yeah. But before you came to Exeter, anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's pretty difficult to watch United at the moment. <laughs> it's appalling. But I, I'm watching it going, are they not trying? Like, as a manager, do you sort of understand what's going on there? Yeah, I, I can relate to it. I, they look lost. I'll be honest with you. They look lost in terms of their, their positional play, in terms of the team setup. They look lost in confidence. That's the biggest aspect. Some of them look physically shot. So, Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw on the back of the Euros look absolutely physically like they've got nothing left. Sometimes you look at a player and they've got nothing behind the eyes and yeah. they've got nothing left to, to give. Um, and that's when, as a manager, you've got yeah. to take them out and rest them and bring them back in and so on and so forth. But in terms of United, it's you know the, the players aren't playing in their right positions or from what I can see at the moment. And it just leaves a disjointed feel about, about the club. Um, yeah. Even stranger because they've got all the talent in the world yeah. and, and all the players in the world and all the resources in the world. Um, but it's just... 
you know, ever since Fergie left, it's been a period of time where it's just gone slowly and slowly. It's just unravelled. Yeah. It's a real mess. And it's also not helped the fact that Liverpool are doing so well, City are doing so well, Chelsea are an outstanding team. They've gone to another level of their game and United have gone gone backwards, I'm afraid. Yeah. Do you know a lot of the other managers in a lot of the other clubs? Do you sort of <laughs> yeah. talk to um, them? I've got to be careful what I say now because you obviously have mutual respect as, as managers, um, but you're also going up against each other. Um, yeah. And in every game, there's a flashpoint where usually managers clash in some way, whether it's verbal or you know some sort of communication, maybe involving a fourth official. But um, you, you obviously respect them because you understand what they're going through on a daily basis in terms of their jobs. And you speak to quite a few of them, the ones who, who you get on really well with. But then there's also characters. Who's the Bradford <laughs> manager? Like, Who's the Bradford manager? Oh, Derek Adams, yeah. That's it. Well, he, he's become a bit of a, you know, a bit of a figure with the Exeter City fans from his Plymouth background. Right. And what he said, I think it was after Ollie Watkins scored a couple of goals in, a, in a, the Devon Derby at the time. Um, and he said the goalkeeper slipped and so on and so forth. So you, you could probably sense it that the Exeter fans are on him already. And he's quite vocal on the touchline as well. And we've had a couple of flashpoints, but you know, I've got nothing but respect for him. It's just, you know, you're still representing your team. and He wants the best for his team and I want the best for my team. And sometimes you've got to stand your corner a little bit as well. Yeah. Especially with the younger players on the pitch who don't quite know how to do that. Yeah. And apart from going on the pitch and, and getting older the referee or opposition players yourself, you, you can't do that. So you sometimes vent Shame, <laughs> and sometimes managers vent at each other and then you see a bit of a clash. Oh, that happened, didn't it? The other, the other, yeah, yeah, yeah. We wanted to ask about that. Is it quite nice that you can kick off another manager now and you're going to get pulled apart so you're not actually going to get hurt? Oh, the <laughs> biggest safety magazine, you feel yeah. like an absolute fraud. Um, yeah. Because your bench is coming to get older you and, yeah, and their yeah. bench is going to get older. Let me go. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, we we were walking down the tunnel and, and Joey Barton was giving it absolute stats. Oh, um, to one of my players and my assistant manager, and um, so I had, a, I had a word with Joey. But his goalkeeper coach was the biggest man I have ever seen <laughs> in my life. Um, a guy called Tony Warner, um, ex Wolves. Um, he was an absolute giant. So you always get it where a load of people walk down a small tunnel at the same time <laughs> with aggro. Yeah, and you're basically waiting for it to boot off a little bit. And I'm thinking, walking down that tunnel, I'm thinking, if this goes wrong here, I'm in serious yeah. trouble. And I'm looking behind me, I'm thinking, where's my goalkeeper coach? And Scott yeah, yeah. somewhere at the back of the melee. <laughs> yeah. Is there a team in the league, Matt, where you go, okay, there's normally a little bit of, gets a bit spicy here. <laughs> Just so I can rub my hands when the fixture's well, coming up. Let, let's be honest, Joey Barton at, at Bristol Rovers is quite a volatile character. Um, so that, that could be classed as one. Derek Adams at Bradford is always a flashpoint there. Um, you know, Different things set off different people and, and there's different managers who are, are calmer than others. Um, Steve Evans, traditionally, no matter what the game situation, he's just left mm. Gillingham. But Steve Evans, traditionally, there's always a flashpoint. And it's how you deal with that moment and how they deal with it. And, and also what you want to get out of it. Sometimes I want my team to see I'm fighting for them a little bit. Not physically yeah. fighting, but actually yeah. standing my ground and standing my corner to say, we're not going to be bullied, bullied or intimidated or, or knocked off our stride. So sometimes it's it's as much as an act as anything. And, and they're doing exactly the same. I'm sure you yeah. speak to them away from football. They're the nicest people in the world. All, all managers are. It's just yeah. there's a switch, which is why we're so competitive and why we're in the job we're in. And I'll be honest, the players have it as well. Um, you'll see some players who are nasty buggers on the pitch yeah. and so on and so forth. And, and some players you'd love in your team but hate to play against. So it's, it's a constant in, in competitive sport. Jerry, Jerry Barton, I can't, like you say, about you're talking about the different roles of a manager putting your arm around some players. I can't imagine Jay Barton putting his arm around someone and going, Come on, son. It's like, is he? I, I'm sure he does. Little... I'm sure he does because he's, you know, he's, he's 
on his managerial pathway sort of thing and he would be successful in relation to that and he had a fantastic career as well so you know yeah. he, he did play at the top level so he's seen, yeah. it, seen it been there and done it and played under fantastic managers so everyone's got their different styles in public but everyone's got their different styles and managerial techniques right. in private as well and you know COVID regardless you, you still want that not physical interaction but you want to do want to put your arm around some players and and sometimes that's that's the only option because you, you can't keep on giving it to them um, because they you know like I said Generation X they, they generally melt a little bit and, and shrink yeah. <laughs> they certainly don't you know, pull their sleeves up and get going So is, is Jerry Barton have they, have they been to ours yet this season? Yeah so Coincidentally, they, they were the team we beat uh, 4-1 at the start of the season and then 5-3 oh. in the in the Papa John's. Um, oh, I didn't realise. Oh, OK. Yeah, that was So we've got to go to the memorial ground and that will be, there will probably be about 12,000 people there all baying for blood. And that, that obviously, I advise you to come to that game. That will be oh. a fantastic game to come and watch because Bristol Rovers, compared to ourselves, are a big football club. Yeah. You know, in big crowds of around 12,000, financially well-backed, huge squad. Um, expectation absolutely huge and that'll be it's the closest one in Bristol's only an hour away so that'll be a fantastic game to come cool. and watch and you know you never know you might see a bit of a scrap on the touchline yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic I, <love laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember my question is it's sort of related to cricket again is Cameron Dawson the, the goalkeeper yes is yeah. he mates with Joe Root I don't know I'm not sure. Um, Did I hear that? He's like, a, look, Joe Root's a Sheffield boy, as far as I'm aware, and Cam's Sheffield boy. Um, right. I, I always tap the players up to see who can play cricket. Alex Hartridge plays down um, down in, in one of the Devon leagues. He's a good cricketer. Does he? We had Johnny Maxhead, um, who was previously our sort of second choice goalkeeper a couple of years back. He he played for Yorkshire through the ranks growing up. Um, so we always try and find Ruben Reid, um, who's now playing at Yeovil. He's a fantastic cricketer. He plays for Bristol West Indies team. Really? Um, so he's a serious cricketer and all his brothers are, are serious cricketers as well. So um, I always try and tap them up because, you know, I, I love the game cricket and we always need players. Um, and we, we, sometimes we've had a charity match as well um, down at um, Timmouth Cricket Club. Um, right. Timmouth and Sheldon Cricket Club. Because our groundsman, Chaz, who I don't know if you've seen his videos he does before the game on, on the, about yeah. the pitches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he still plays cricket and he does the ground there as well. So sometimes oh, bloody hell, he plays. <laughs> 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 bloody hell, mate. With all due respect. <laughs> he, he, he's, yeah, yeah, he, <laughs> he, he's one of those typical Devon bowlers who just bowls 10 overs for 10 runs and gets yeah. a couple of wickets straight. People trying to slog him and um, just put yeah. it on the spot. Um, but a great bloke. And, and like I say, um, we'll probably have another charity cricket game once the COVID situation hopefully starts to ease off a little bit. And yeah, then yeah. obviously he'll be invited to that and expected to come in, in, in some sort of uh, capacity. But you, you're bold. No, you're back, don't you, though? Well, I haven't played for like four years and I, I don't just back think out I was... now. Don't back yeah. out. You can't start but... making excuses now. Yeah. No, no, no. no. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting messages now from all my cricket mates that you know, yeah. they're looking forward to what you can bring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the last season I played, there was a game where I dropped three sitters. I'm like, oh, I'm out. I don't want to be that bloke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now him. Where were you fielding when you dropped them? Well, I'm normally second slip, but I was, I was out in the... I don't know, like mid-off or something else. Oh, I just feel like one of those blokes now. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be absolutely fine, believe me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Basically, you're playing. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't You've got to bring some money for subs and some teas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's yeah. the beauty of the Saturday cricket. So bring you oh. some money for the umpires and bring your own teas at the moment as well because of COVID. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Are there any more questions, Joe? Uh, let, let's run. Th- oh yeah, let's let's do a few quickies. Yep. What's your desk like? Don't know why we asked that one. <laughs> um, <What's> your de- <laughs> I 
What's your desk like? That's one of the well, questions. My, my, desk, my, my desk should have Wayne Carlisle at the other side, but for some reason, he, he's basically vacated his seat in the manager's office and he sits in the coach's room. So that probably sums me up in terms of what my daily routine looks like. <laughs> um, so I, I literally sit in the office on my own, staring at Wayne Carlisle's empty seat. Um, oh, that's um, what I was going to ask. Um, Saturday, match day, what do you do? Get up at seven... What's your routine? Um, usual routine. If it's a home game, um, go straight to the gym, um, come back, um, bit of bit of food, write a few notes and bits and pieces, um, and then get to the ground just before one o'clock and the players report for, for half one. Um, most of the prep throughout the week is done. Um, so a match day in theory is not a relaxed day because obviously the game is part of that, but the build-up and, and so on and so forth isn't as intense as maybe a player because the players are going into battle as such, they're going into the game. Um, all our preppers' stuff is done in relation to uh, the preparation in the week. So you can almost relax. It's been strange the last, well, the last 18 months, I suppose. You get the odd message and phone call the morning of a game and, and so-and-so's got COVID or so-and-so's uh. got symptoms. And then, you know, then it's panic stations. But generally, a match day prep is, is quite relaxed. And then I say a few bits at half one um, and leave the players mainly to it. Um, are, you, are you buzzing at like quarter to three when the... Um, Are you really excited to watch the match? And... Yeah, but a little bit of excitement, a little bit of nerves. Um, yeah. you know, the, the, the feeling that we put a team on the pitch and just, the, you know, you're waiting to see how they perform. I mean, the opposition plays such a big part in it and the circumstances, the environment, the, the weather, the pitch, the, the referee. So there's a lot of different variables which can change. But in terms of what we look at is, is just the performance. And if they're in the right mindset, approaching the game and how they intend to perform within the performance will be loads of mistakes but you're not crawling crawling the walls and it's a it's a strange feeling because it builds and builds and builds and then once a game starts you relax again um you know you have your nervous right. poo when the players go out for their warm-up i have a bit of time on my own you have your nervous poo and read the program and so on and so forth that that's that's the worst I had that yesterday that. matt when we spoke to dermot o'leary <laughs> yeah that's that's the time you're actually on your own where actually your no one else shit. is left in the change room um yeah you literally go and sit on the sit on the can <laughs> have a nervous poo and read the program so when i'm having my pass it off too i know what you're doing <laughs> exactly <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> share the toilet next to me. <laughs> did you say you do your you do your team talk at one thirty? Yeah. That's the last sort of G ah, Not yeah. not like ten to three. Because I've always pictured like, you know, the, the team talk, then they all cheer and then you whack them all on the bum on the way out. Make sure you get everyone's buttock. But you don't do that. You, you no, no, I mean, it. I think most managers do it now when the players report to the ground um, because then you get the opposition team at uh, quarter to two and then you talk for a few bits in terms of individuals with, with your team um, and last few reminders. And the players go out at, at 20 past, quarter past two and then they come back in around quarter to ten to. And it's not a mad rush, but they're constantly, from that, that period alone, they're either sat on the toilet um, doing the boots, doing the, the shin pads, Doing bits, of, probably doing the barnets. Let's be honest, doing doing the hair. Uh, <laughs> Matt J, you thinking Matt J? Oh, so, you know the likes of Matt J, Alex Hartridge, uh, Kyle Taylor sorting their hair out. Pierce yeah. trying to find some hair on his head. Um, <laughs> right. So it's it's, it's, a, it's a general difference between the group, and actually you want to leave them to it at that point because then they're motivating each other in terms of final last little bits and pieces and getting into them. So you know you, you give them the autonomy to just to cre- create an, an atmosphere which they go onto the pitch with. Um, oh, I'd, lo- I'd love to watch that the last five minutes before they go out. Might be slightly off putting us two sitting in the corner. Well, I can go in, do their curlers, or put some curlers in or whatever. <laughs> 
we, we probably need a, a hairdresser or hair someone yeah, exactly. just to refine them. Before they walk out on the door, instead of a slap on the bum, it's, you know, touching them up, making yeah, themselves. Yeah. You look amazing. You look amazing. You look amazing. You look great, love. You must have it before you, when you do your TV bits and pieces. They must put the last ounce of makeup or whatever on you, and then you get this sort of green light to go out, and, and they say, don't yeah. touch your face. Um, I think our players generally think don't head the ball for the first five or ten minutes. Yeah. Did you see where Matt's hairband came out? <laughs> yeah. He wasn't thinking about the game at all for five minutes. Oh, it's, it's incredible. And you, you, you know, I was laughing. You, you notice yeah. things like that during a game, and you have to laugh because that's you know it's yeah. a natural reaction. And MJ's got you know a fine head of hair at the moment. Lovely. When it, when he ties it back and does a top knot or whatever they call it, you know that's a, a real bit of him at the moment um, but when he was he was literally bound around it reminded me of Ginola back in the day yeah um, and every now and then you, you do a session a training session and you don't have to stop it but you've got to actually give a bit more time for some of the players to put their hairbands back in or sort their hair out certainly if you do an individual <laughs> session with a, a centre half who, who keeps on losing his hair net or whatever it's called and his hair net <laughs> oh my god you've got hell of a lot more to deal <laughs> with now than now I, I, had, I had Alex Hartridge yesterday and his, his hair was a yeah, when Matt, I, I know I focus on Matt's hair a lot, but when it came out, it's like God, it's well washed, well conditioned, <laughs> it is really long. It is. Has he got the best hair in the squad? Um, it's, it's a real competition. Him and Kyle Taylor. Um, in terms of the two, Alex is trying to get there. Um, I'm not sure he ever will because he's he seems to have a thicker head of hair, and when it's when you've got yeah, long hair right. and it's thicker, it still it's goes out manage. as much as yeah. down. Um, whereas MJ and Kyle have got the real slick look, which basically makes them look a million dollars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Catwalk, the catwalk hair, basically. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah. it's incredible. You, you, you know, you talk about the haircuts and so on and so forth, and they must get the haircut every every ten days or so. Not not just the ones with long hair, Different but just world, the, the importance of appearance nowadays in in social interaction. And I suppose they're getting photographed and they're getting seen by a lot of people on a, a weekly basis. So it's something they they really take pride in. Yeah. Are you all right to do another five minutes or so, Matt? Absolutely. I, at some stage, I need to talk about my staff because. Um, oh yeah, I, I, I've obviously researched you guys to a certain extent. I've seen you on your TV and so on and so forth, but I, I need to mention my staff because there's been probably a dozen times in the last couple of years where I've returned back in from a training ground or from a meeting and walked into the coach's room. And, and David, you're probably uh, on the screen at the back of the room talking about masturbating in front of a, a, a nurse with the, the, the sitcom. sitcom. Um, and Marcus Flickcroft, <laughs> our head of recruitment and analysis, he's your biggest fan. Um, oh. and he, obviously, he, he's basically wetting himself as we speak because I'm on this podcast and he's desperate to do it. <laughs> but every now and then for his little pick-me-up, he watches your clips. <laughs> oh, really? So, so we come in his coaching staff and we come back into the room and he's just barrel laughter. Um, I can laugh, come in and laugh. talk about masturbating if you want me just for the match. There's <laughs> not that else to talk about. Because I, I, I hadn't watched the series, you see, um, the Afterlife series. And then he shows me the clips and, you know, obviously borderline inappropriate for a coach's room in a football environment. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Unbelievably funny to walk into. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Yeah, sorry about that. I forget some of the stuff that I've been made to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, last, unless you've got a question, Joe. No, you go you for it. Question? Um, where do you think we'll end up at the end of the season? What position? Um, okay, I think we've got to be realistic. I think we've got a good chance of getting into the playoffs. Um, yeah. Like I say, you know, automatic P 
positions at the moment seem to be a little bit far away. We, we need to catch up in terms of points um, and, and wins in relation to that and putting a, a really good run of form. But there's no reason why we can't be challenging towards the playoffs. Um, yeah. And then the playoffs becomes a bit of a lottery if you've got your your, your players fit and you've got a chance and, and they'll we'll be right in the mix and, and we back ourselves going into that. Um, so not to say we're not in a, you know, a good position at the moment, but there's a lot of teams who are starting to hit form and a lot of teams are strengthening to another level in this window. Um, you saw it with Bolton last season. The first half of the season, they, they struggled as a big club at, at League Two. Second half of the season, they, they, they were basically unbeatable um, and won so many games. So there's always going to be a group of teams who strengthen and strengthen to a point where we can't maintain that level. Um, but we've just got to stay close to the, the, the topper end or the higher end of the table and give ourselves a chance of challenging in the last 10 games. So will Exeter be looking at bringing in new faces in this window? Um, well, we, we signed one already. Um, yeah. But in all honesty, we've not quite got the finance to do that where, where we are. Um, it, it's the way the market is. It's also the way the, the club is. Um, and a lot of other clubs have been able to do that. But, you know, we've also missed players through, through injury. So some of those players coming back from injury, they won't be like new signings because we've seen them before. But, you know, the impact Nombe will have, the impact Diang will have, um, you know, all the ones coming back. And, and Sam Stubbs will almost be like a, a new player. So... Squad-wise, we'll be okay if we manage to keep our, our more senior figures and better players fit. Um, the biggest challenge in January, actually, is keeping hold of the young players because yeah. you know it, it's, it's a Wednesday today and my phone's been going off left, right and centre with, with agents in relation to players and clubs and, and, and notifications in terms of clubs' intent to bid for players. So January's well, that, Might that happen then, Matt? Because I'm new to this. Yeah, so we might there's, lose. there's always a chance that that happens. Um, and, and it has to be the right deal for the football club because their players are under contract. Um, but like we spoke about, players want to play at the highest level possible um, and, and they're, they're right in relation to wanting to do that. But we try and emphasise staying with us throughout the course of the season um, for as long a period as, as possible, really, um, because then they can go to their club at the start of a new season and, and you know hit the ground running, so to speak. So it remains to be seen that there's still, you know, 15, 16 days left of this window. So um, sometimes you, you you look forward to the phone ringing um, and sometimes you, you dread it um, because yeah. naturally it's, it's a disruption which the players in the club probably don't need at times. You said about the financial difference of getting into League One. What is that? Is is it is there a big, is there more of a pot of money that you can spend? What is the difference between well, if you the, get the up biggest, in... The biggest difference in terms of income is bigger away gates. Um, oh, so it is. You talk about half the league being ex Premier League teams. So naturally, they all of a sudden bring between two and three thousand people down to watch, even the long distance wow. to So straight away, that the stadium is, is is has more capacity. So even if we get fifteen hundred, uh, two thousand people in the away end, I can guarantee more City fans will come and watch us, and more City fans will yeah, come and watch you, us in League yeah, One than League Two. Up, yeah. So so instead of averaging between four and five thousand, we'd probably be averaging between five and six, possibly six and a half thousand people. So the money which is generated from that is is, is of another level to what we are at the moment. And then TV money, um, sponsorships, all the corporate aspect which runs alongside the business improves on the back of the product which is on the pitch, which is a, a league one football. Um and if we do have success, then generally then that coincides with, with with producing players and selling players. If you have a promotion team with young players in it, then two or three of those young players are getting bought no matter what. Right. So it, you know, yeah. it's, it's one of those where it works hand in hand where, you know, it, it costs more because you've got to pay more in wages. But in terms of actual incomings to the football club, the club's in a far right. better financial position in the league above. I've never experienced like the playoffs. Is it, is that really um, a credible atmosphere at the uh, at the yeah. ground? Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, I mean, God. you, you, you probably amazing. won't have seen the, the, the park full. Um, so we had a Devon Derby two years ago where there was 9,000 um, Lincoln in the playoffs the year before where, you know, there's 10,000. Um, 
it's, it's an incredible atmosphere because not only is your way in full, but every single person from Exeter goes to watch those games of football. Um, and it's it's the atmosphere is, is it's all on one one game usually over two legs but it's all on one opposition and then you you get to Wembley and unfortunately we've been you know we, we've been beaten at Wembley um, three times in recent years and that's absolutely brutal to to go through look well, not luckily but the, when I went there with the team as manager there was no one there and that was a surreal <laughs> that was a crazy wow. experience um, so weird. And we got beaten four 0 by Northampton and there was no one there to witness it everyone was watching at home so, um, so Matt sorry you managed at Wembley stood. On the, the side of the Wembley pitch. Yeah. In the yeah. That's, that's incredible. And there was no one there. There was no one there. And you know, oh. 80 odd thousand seat stadium, and there was no one there. And it was absolutely surreal. And it was a difficult day because we played poorly and we got absolutely beaten up by Northampton, who deservedly winners on the day. Oh, Wembley, though. And you know, you, you want your fans to be there, but you don't want them to be there to witness, <laughs> witness that. So it was a, a difficult period in relation to the way that season finished. God. I haven't even considered you've done that. That's amazing. If you got to Wembley this year, how many do you reckon you could take? Um, well, I always revert back to in previous years. Um, when, when we got promoted at Wembley, I played for, for Exeter City at Wembley. And I think there was 40-odd thousand there when we played amazing. Cambridge. I think Exeter took around 15,000, maybe maybe closer to 20,000. And Cambridge likewise. And then there was an X amount added on into that in terms of the, the corporate aspect. Um, when we played... Blackpool, they were actually had a, a, a dis. The best way to describe it, the, the fans were boycotting the games all season, and then Blackpool got to Wembley, and then only a few, a small amount of Blackpool fans turned up to that game, um, because it was when the owners at Blackpool at the time were having their conflict with the fans, so they boycotted all season, and they didn't want to go to the final as well. Um, so I think there was only twenty plus thousand at that game against Blackpool, and then similar situation against Coventry, where not as many were, were in attendance. So. Um, usually it's still strange because Wembley's a huge, huge stadium and if it's full you can imagine 80,000 people but even at a League 2 level if there's 45,000 people basically the bottom tiers of the stadium are full and they leave the top tiers open so on TV it looks full (laughs) but actually half the stadium around the top side is completely empty as well Um, but still a fantastic experience Oh, Oh, amazing Oh, well, thank you very much, Matt. Yeah, I've really Matt. enjoyed it. Yeah. It's been brilliant. No problem. No problem thank you so much. Yeah, really loved it. Hope we didn't let ourselves down. <laughs> I, I think Matt really likes you, Joe. Well, absolutely. <laughs> Cheers. Flight <laughs> <laughs> cool, flight cool. Do you want to sell yourself as a footballer quickly, Joe? Got a, got a decent left foot. Educated, I'd say. Left-footed players <laughs> game. in high demand. In high demand. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I'm just saying. I didn't. Uh, David was more pushy. I just let you come to me. <laughs> <laughs> in all honesty, I mean, Pierce and MJ promised you new boots and, and new yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. I will pitch, travel so for new boots. You, you have to come down and see the boys because they'd, they'd love it as well. I genuinely, it, I've, I've been fantasizing about the idea of you, me having a little run around and you taking me aside and going, you're not half bad, you. That's what I've been thinking about, <laughs> genuinely. And I'm not even joking. <laughs> Same here. Same here. All, all we can do is set it up and then when we can just crack on. Um, Same here. Say, get, get you guys down to the training ground. Uh, yeah, David, did you play County League? Yeah, I did, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I'd love for you to say to me, oh, I wish I'd have got old you 25 years ago. Could have made someone you Someone did say that to me once in the pub. If you'd got, if someone got older you when you're 15, who knows? <laughs> I'm, I'll, you know. I'll put you all in the, the change room with the boys, and then I'll send someone down to get you down in my office, uh, <laughs> and then I'll give the serious. I'll, I'll do the old school hair dye treatment. That'd be oh, amazing. You two are the worst players I've ever, <laughs> and that would be true. It would be true. You're the two worst players I've ever had to deal with, and we would be. Oh. <laughs> 
Oh, well, thank you so much, Thanks, Matt. Matt. No problem. No problem. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a home on Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, home to Scunthorpe. So, um, so you you sit just be like behind the dugouts. Well, normally I'm to the left of the dugouts, but it's my I bought a half season ticket. And it starts on Saturday, so I've got I've got my new seat, which is to the right. Okay, back right. So, I mean, I won't be shouting. I don't say anything. <laughs> but you will hope for a look up, won't you? Yeah, yeah, away. Wave. Man! <laughs> <laughs> give me a shout, I'll give you a wave. Oh, okay. oh. <laughs> oh this sounds... look at your face. Yeah, I'm going to tell my wife. <laughs> good luck Saturday. Thank you. Yeah, good luck Saturday. Thanks for everything. Good luck with the rest of the season. Yeah. Cheers, Jen.